Hello everyone. Welcome to Making Data Speak and I am your host Sachin Tonk. The amount of data we produce every day is truly mind-boggling. 90% of today's data is created in the last 2 years. The current pace of data capturing poses a significant challenge for data professionals in terms of how to manage and utilize data. The Making Data Speak podcast series is the result of my passion to explore both the art and science of data. In each episode we unveil the hidden stories, connect points and paint the data picture for businesses and consumers together with thought leaders and experts across the region. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or on my website sachintong.com. Stay tuned for more. This is a podcast disclaimer before we start the session. The content of this podcast does not and is not meant to provide professional advice. The views, information and opinions expressed during Making Data Speak podcast are solely those of individuals involved and do not represent the individuals current or past employer, organization or committee. Driving change and reinventing the business model by leveraging on data has become essential in this pandemic age. Change is never easy and it is always resisted, but the hard fact is that you cannot move forward without a change. It's not the startups anymore. It's COVID who is the real disruptor. COVID-19 has forced the organization to speed up the transformation in order to remain business. So it's high time to accept, adopt, accelerate change or else die. Million dollar question now how do you leap into the future and make this change happen and to discuss this topic i am joined by my esteemed guest hal bosher chairman at wave money and advisor to the board at yoma bank welcome hal it's an extreme honor to host you on my show hi sachin thanks for having me people resist change and driving change is not easy so how do you leap in future in the markets like myanmar Yeah look I mean I think there's no one answer to that question but I can certainly tell you from my perspective one of the key things is that they need to discover it for themselves uh you're not going to if you like ram change down somebody's throat they need to discover it and one of the key things is get them to lead that discovery process people naturally I think want to improve or want to evolve uh, evolve um and so if you lay out the breadcrumbs they'll they'll pick them up And so I think one of the key things is just to 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 help them on that journey um rather than uh you know try and push them too much. Thanks for that but my key challenge which I also face is that whenever I try to bring change in the organization or in the mindset of the people you can sell your idea easily you can do small POCs you can do lot of things to get the idea rolling but it's actually the culture and the the buying of the people to to get to get into their dna or to to get into their mindset to actually work with you to take it forward i'm sure when in your role as a ceo of uh, yuma bank right you might have so many things in your radar which you need to show to your board members and to your stakeholders that what change you are bringing and change for good change for future making the bank uh, ready for the future so what were your key challenges especially on changing the mindset and the culture yeah well i think those are very good points and i i would i would admit that i think it depends where you sit in an organization you have to have different skills to deliver different results 
I think, you know, uh, I was lucky enough to, as the CEO, um, that I was in a leadership position. And I think you need to lead by example. And I think one of the key challenges, if you like, with change is that, you know, you don't always get change right the first time. People want change, but they always, they always point to the examples of where change succeeds. But change often fails. And you may, you may fail and then fail again, and then you only get it right on the third or fourth or fifth time. Right? So I think one of the key things is to allow for that failure. Uh, in other words, when you don't change, you're doing what was done before, and that's already a proven success. So in my mind, uh, you know, when I was leading Yoma Bank and, and my, my, my role as the chairman of WAVE right now, I think it's important to allow the management uh, and your colleagues to understand that they're allowed to fail. In other words, they're allowed to make a mistake. And when they make that mistake, um, as long as they learn from it, you can move ahead. No, that's, that's very good. I, I really like the way you said, allow to fail, right? I think the key definition of agile methodology nowadays is quickly fail, learn, adapt, and move on. So, so totally uh, spot on, on this. Uh, coming back on leaping into the future, right? I wanted to understand from you, how did you leverage on data, right? Uh, in, in terms of managing this quantum of change or to educate the entire uh, mindset of people that, okay, we need to be a data-driven organization or we need to leverage data for our success of change? Well, look, I mean, I have to admit, you know, in a frontier market like Myanmar, uh, data is thin on the ground. Uh, and much of the data that you leverage, you have to acquire yourself. We, uh, I mean, I have an example of that very early on in my tenure at Yoma Bank, we decided that we wanted to lend to the farmers, the agricultural community. But the standard line in the banking community, and, and in, in truth across the bank, was that they were not a good credit. In other words, that they, this was something the government did, and because of the seasonality, and because you know, there, were, there was a long list of reasons why it was not a good idea to do that. We were lucky enough to get support from a, a donor uh, to do that and really build our own data set. And over the years, we developed a very large hire purchase or leasing program to lease tractors and other things to farmers in Myanmar. And that was building our own data set. And we quickly learned that, in fact, they were a very good credit. But to, to answer your question, you know, in, in markets like Myanmar, and I'm sure many other frontier markets, you really need to, to develop your own data set, build it, build it yourself. Yeah, so I think the next point, which was always there in my mind, like uh, the market like Myanmar, Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, they are not at, at that level of global where they can compete with banks like Singapore or, or the, the kind of business model the local banks in Singapore or Hong Kong is happening, right? And especially from a technology aspect, they are still need a lot of upliftment. So how do you think right now, is, is there any kind of digital transformation drive going on in this region, especially when COVID-19 is, is coming up and every business and every organization is running into reinventing their business model? Yeah. Look, I mean, the short answer is yes. I think Myanmar has been lucky. Um, we've had uh, telcos come into the market about three to four years ago and provide very high quality uh, networks. So we have 4G in Myanmar. And also the proximity to China has allowed access to cheap Chinese smartphones. So that gives you sort of the, the network and the, the, the hardware and the setup for it. 
banks are looking at it. And you're right, COVID has accelerated the change. But as usual, it's easier said than done. It's very difficult to attract talent uh, to come. And as you said, I mean, your, your reference to Singapore versus the rest of the region, I think is very relevant. And that's about people. That's about hiring talent. How do you convince somebody to come and work for a mid-sized bank in Myanmar or Indonesia versus going to work for one of the big banks in Singapore, right? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a life choice. So how do you get the talent? Because we all need the same talent. And that's the difficulty with, with digital, right? I mean, you, you really need skills that, that the Singapore banks need as well. So I would say, yes, that banks are evolving and, and moving. And I think the customer base wants to have better access to financial services using the smartphone. Just a small kind of uh, out of curiosity, which which I'm sure my listeners will be very much interested as well. When you were the CEO of the bank, right? How much you were focused to bring new technologies or how much you were focused in terms of spending money in terms of digitization, right? Do you, do you had, okay, if I have 100 million as, as, as a budget to, to expand, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put 20% in the bucket of, of digitization or technology innovation and all those things. So, so can you give, give some perspective how, how as a leader for the bank you, you, you were driving yeah. this whole thing? Well, I wish I had that budget. Uh, we, we deal with uh, you know, small numbers in markets like Myanmar. And, and I think this is important to understand. And uh, the other thing is, it's important to understand the evolution of the bank. You know, when I joined the bank in, in late 2012, it was more or less did not have a core banking system. And, and it's important to understand we went from ledgers. So I'll say that again. I'll let that sink in because it's hard to really comprehend. You know, they were writing things down on pieces of paper and the branches were not connected one to the other. So this is really an evolution. So, I mean, in terms of commitment to technology, absolutely. But we were in some ways playing catch up, right? But which was also a huge advantage because we didn't have the legacy. So we put in our first core, we did a procurement and then we put it in. Uh, we sort of started in 2015 and I think we went live. Um, I'm not going to get this wrong, but I would say 2017 with our core. So, you know, you need a core in order to then build the other layers of tech on top of it. So once we had that, then we started to look at ways as, as to how we could serve our customer better, you know, using a better front end and using different technology to, to allow that. But we came a long way. I mean, I, I would say we did sort of, you know, 50 years of evolution in, in five, you know, to go from a ledger to thinking about UX UI in six years is similar to the evolution of most banks over, you know, call it 50 years. So it's a lot for people to digest. Yeah. So when you use the word ledger, you actually reminded me of my grandfather, right? So, so there we go. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's why I have so much white hair on my beard. Yeah, I'm yeah, like yeah. your grandfather. It was literally moving people from that to, uh, you know, to tech. No, but, but it's very interesting and fascinating the way, uh, uh, the way you are t- uh, telling me about ledgers and the the things you have moved in the bank for five six years it's very fascinating to bring that because i'm i'm sure when people are so much associated with ledgers and doing things in a certain way you might have a huge challenge and i'm sure you will agree to it that to to move that uh, whole mindset into uh, power of data, connectivity, core and all those yeah. things let me touch on that i mean you're right, but you know a lot of it's driven by fear. Right. I mean, it, people are frightened of change. And so they're frightened because they know how ledger works. But instinctively, I would say that Myanmar, just like you know, any other country, be it Canada, the US, Singapore, you know, people want to improve and they want to change. If you take the fear out of the equation, 
right? And you and you 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 share with them and you teach them and you bring you bring excuse me, you bring them with you. It's amazing how much people can move. I mean, I'm using more what sorry, I'm not the CEO of the bank anymore. I have to take that back. I'm not doing anything. But you know, when I left the bank, uh, we were we had 80% of the same staff that were there when we were using ledgers as when we're using you know, a digital front end. It's the same people. So you can bring them with you, right? As long as you take fear out of it, you invest in training, right? And then you do need some change makers to help bring the larger group uh, along, right? So I would say it's, it, th- th- this was the mix that we were in in Myanmar. No, you are spot on hell. So completely agree. I think you, you have summarized very well and you have answered this uh, uh, in a very nice way that taking out the fear from the equation. And I think it's a million dollar question for every every person who is trying to make a change or who is responsible to make a change, how the person takes out the fear. And if, if, the, if the person is able to do that, I think half of the battle or maybe I would say 70 to 80 percent battle is won because whenever I go and talk about, hey, can we do it differently? People get scared, right? What is coming next is is I'm talking about taking some jobs or something like that. So I think the fear factor, which which is your spot on. So um, I think our discussion will be will not be complete if we don't talk about uh, COVID-19. Of course, COVID-19 has actually changed the world. It is, it is, it has opened up the entire, uh, uh, the way the people are thinking, the, the way the business is, is working. I'm sure Myanmar is, is not untouched as well. Do you, do you see in Myanmar market right now because of COVID-19, any drastic change which is happening into the banking or any, any other industry which you can, you want to bring that perspective in? Yeah, every industry. I mean, it's upending the whole market. I, you know, I think, uh, I mean, gosh, it's as simple as people investing in cars, right? So people were happy to take public transport and shared transport. And we've seen a huge uptick in uh, higher purchase, right? People willing to take out a loan to get a car because they're worried about their health and getting around. Uh, so they want that, uh, you know, they're willing to make that investment. That's it sort of the, in a very basic way. When it comes to banking services, look, I mean, at the end of the day, people are nervous about going into a bank branch, right? They're nervous about, uh, you know, coming into contact with people, being in a confined area. So they're using digital services far more. You know, we've seen a huge uptake um, on, in Wave, in the mobile money business that I'm still involved with, in terms of peer-to-peer transfers. So people are using digital transfer to move money from one to the other, whereas six months ago, it was still very much a cash business, right? Still very much over-the-counter, cash-to-cash, and now people don't want to handle cash. So I would say it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of a tip-to-tip change across industries, as people try to adapt delivery services, everything online, online shopping. I mean, all of these things are, are, given, are being given a real boost. Uh, but then again, execution is not easy. So even though you've got the demand, you know, delivering in this environment is not easy either. Yeah, so hell, I think um, uh, the way you have summarized it, there is a lot of opportunity, a lot of things are going on. So it, it is very fascinating for me. I, I, I think I should be in Myanmar market myself because there's so many much opportunity where you can do so many different things. So um, whenever there is an opportunity uh, coming in, I think um, the focus is also that how time to speed or speed to market, right? In the competition itself. So so when, when it comes to the competition 
are they are there are uh, local vendors or there are global vendors who are trapping into Myanmar market like like big companies like Infosys, TCS, Wipro's who are helping the the companies to drive their digital transformation or there are local vendors who are who are using this opportunity? Yeah, it's a really great question. Look, um, there's a bit of everything, right? And I think one of the things to understand is the the people you, you're serving. And I think it's important to understand the pace of change, meaning you cannot move faster than the people you are serving, right? So, so if you have a product that they don't know how to use, it's not going to work. The other thing to understand is similar to the, similar to the point I made around Ledger to, to, to Core, you know, that evolution that happened very quickly, you know, people, people are needing to change themselves, you know, extremely quickly. So when it comes back to vendors and really delivering the service, uh, as you know, you know, there are different options. You can either try and build it yourself, build a team and, and, and give, give yourself long-term capability, or you can try and outsource it. And there are a lot of players on the ground. I think the problem is, is that coming back to the, I think the, 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 the kickoff of the conversation is that nobody really knows right? So you've got the locals that have the knowledge, they understand the market, but they don't understand digital, right? As a, as a group, some do, but as a group, they don't. And then you've got the vendors that sort of understand digital, digital, but they're trying to import uh, and transplant ideas and concepts that have worked in other markets, but they're not that familiar with Myanmar. So marrying the two is a real challenge. And I think that's the, that's the thing that you have to get right is what is the appropriate digital evolution to serve the people? Because I think that uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, you can do something fantastic that is technically sophisticated, that is you know a huge leap forward. But if people don't have a use case for it, they don't know how to use it, they don't know what to do with it. You're sort of wasting your time. Maybe what they really need is a very simple application that really suits the needs of you know 30 million people. So this this sort of trial and error is still being figured out. Yeah. So I think uh, one thing which which I really wanted to ask you, right? And I, I don't know whether I should ask, but but I'm 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 taking the challenge up, right? I've never been into very senior management meetings, like facing board of directors or something like that, because I've not gone to that level still, right? So when 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 you when you go into these kind of meetings and when you have to actually sell your idea or try to convince your stakeholders that this is the right thing for your organizations right how how do you how do you deal with this kind of situation and what are the data points and how how do you do you sell your idea to to these kind of senior stakeholders yeah it's a great question uh, you know the short answer is with difficulty right um and i think that you need to know your board uh, to your point you need to know your stakeholders you know in truth when I was running Yoma Bank, I mean, let me give you a very clear example. The shareholding of Yoma Bank um, for the years that I was running it was family owned. Right? I had a chairman, uh, Serge Pun. Uh, I had a board, but I was reporting to old, arguably a single stakeholder. Now, as the chairman of Wave and what we're doing, we had Telenor, which is a corporate, and then we had Yoma on the other side. So they were very different boards, right? And a very different exercise in terms of how that was all communicated. Now, I was not the CEO of Wave, but I was on the board of Wave, right? And you could see that you need to know your board. So, you know, I would spend a lot of time uh, with the chairman of the bank and with the board in terms of articulating what the impact would be, right? What we were trying 
trying to do. And I know what was very compelling to, to the chairman and to the board was that we could serve the average person. And in truth, banks over time in Myanmar weren't able to, right? Because of the way bank branches worked, it was very much a, a middle-class, upper-class you know, service, right? But digital allowed us to go down market and to serve the mass market. And this was very compelling. So to, 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 to answer your question, for that, for the board that I was uh, um, answering to at the bank, it was about outcomes. Now, they would have done it through digital or any other means. What, what was very compelling to them was the outcome that was promised, right? Whereas, you know, when I looked at, at a more corporate uh, board that we were, you know, we were all on at Wave, that was much more detail-oriented, right, in terms of, you know, coming with a compelling value proposition because, you know, Telenor had, you know, similar mobile money services across Southeast Asia. So they had different experience and they were going to be far more rigorous about the business model and the revenue model that was needed. We were really pioneers in banking. So it was a bit of a, you know, it was a bit of a empty space. And we were in that regard allowed allowed more freedom. But I think, look, you build credibility with your board over time. And it's not a one shot deal. You need to build credibility of the board you know, every board, every hour of every day, as you speak to your directors. And then when you come with something that's more ambitious, something that's maybe far out the risk curve, they will give you the benefit of the doubt and allow you to take that risk, right? But again, this is about people and this is about trust, right? It is not about technology. When you go to a board, it's not about, you know, they don't need to know the grant. They trust that you You've got that covered, that you've hired the right CTO, that you've hired the right vendor. They don't want to know. They don't even know about it. It's not their job, right? It's not their job to know the minutiae of, you know, the code behind which application you're using, right? It's about people and it's about trust. And if you get, if you, if you understand that, then whether it's a tech transformation or anything else, the board will go with you. No, I think uh, a great insight. So uh, I want to talk to you about wave money. We, we have touched a uh, few times in our previous discussions or co- uh, response to the questions, right? Wave money, how it all started. Well, by chance, I mean, if that's what you want to know, it was uh, quite random. I was two years on the job in, uh, at Yoma Bank and I had um, an IFC consultant named Ivan who was with me and he said, there's a telco conference down the down the road, why aren't you going? And I said, why would I go to a telco conference? And he said, well, have you heard about mobile money? And I sort of said, well, yes, I've heard of it, but what does that have to do with me? So long story short, he convinced me to go to the telco conference. And at the conference, I ran into the Telenor team. And they looked at me and they said, oh yeah, we know about you, but we're assuming that you're partnering with uh, our competitor. And I said, why do you say that? And they said, well, because your group has a tower co, a tower company, and you partner with, with... with uh, do on the towers. And I said, yeah, but that has nothing to do with me. Anyway, long story short, we sort of fell into it. And, you know, I'll be, uh, I'll be clear. One of the things that I've been very committed to at, at Yoma Bank is governance, right? Good governance and, and ethical banking. And I can tell you that Telenor chose to partner with us to launch Wave because of our governance. It's as simple as that. We were the number 16 bank in the, in the country when they partnered with us. I mean, we were tiny. It made no commercial sense, but they had made a strategic decision to partner with a local bank. And we had the best governance, 
there. We had, you know, the, again, the World Bank, the IFC had a, had a convertible debt in the, in the bank. And so that gave us a lot of credibility. And they wanted a partner that they could work with. So in short, to answer your question, there was no great master plan. We, we, we certainly took the opportunity as it came. I think great things doesn't need master plan. So I think it, it, it comes on the way. So uh, t- tell, tell me something more about Wave Money. How is it exciting? What are you doing there? And uh, what are the key challenges you are facing, especially um, uh, making it to the next level? Uh, would like to hear from you. Yeah. Look, I mean, the Wave is exciting because it really does serve the mass market in Myanmar. We have uh, 10 million plus customers. Um, we move between six and seven billion US uh, annually, and that's growing rapidly uh, in payments. And the average transaction is around 70 US, right? So small ticket transaction for the average person. And it has revolutionized the way people look at money transfer. But I will say, although we call ourselves a fintech, you know, historically, we were fairly low tech, right? We had something of a core. We moved money, but cash from point to point. Simple, comes back to my earlier point, simple, easy to understand, highly useful business case that all Burmese can use. I mean, it, it, is, it is a common denominator. So when you ask the question about, so why it's exciting is because it's inclusive. And it's inclusive because it's, um, and by the way, WAVE is, is far more expensive than bank transfers, but because it's so much more uh, available, it's 24-7 and it's right down on the street. We have 65,000 uh, agents at this point. Uh, it's very accessible. So people are willing to pay a premium to access the service. So when you ask where, what our great challenge is, it's, it's really what we're talking about today. It's, it's digitization, right? So how do we turn this service, which is effectively an over-the-counter business, into a digital business? And that involves upgrading our technology, changing our revenue model, uh, and really evolving. And this is why we're so excited to have Ant Financial uh, join us as a shareholder uh, in Wave. I think they see the opportunity. So they have a lot of experience with um, this type of business across Southeast Asia. We have a lot to learn. And we're in the very early stages of pivoting our business to serve the digital customer. One thing that I'm very committed to, though, and as I mentioned earlier, is pace. You cannot go faster than your customer. So at the, at the end of the day, we do have a business case that is clearly compelling for all Burmese. I mean, we've grown. We are by far the largest mobile money player in the country. And on digital, we need to get there. We need to get there quickly. But we need to get there with use cases and value propositions that suit the Burmese people, not something that's been pulled out of a hat, right, or some, something from another market. And so this comes back to the use of data to validate, um, you know, the strategic plans that we have. No, I think uh, uh, absolutely. And it is very fascinating, the numbers you said, 10 million customers, 65,000 uh, agents, right? So, so data is definitely you must be capturing a lot of data and you, you, you already have a lot of data to actually come up with identi- or identifying the use cases which can help Wave uh, to get to the next level. So the, the obvious question which I will is coming into my mind is that how you are using this data and how you are leveraging on this data to actually 
generate the right set of use cases or maybe to upgrade your platform or this wave money platform so that it can be more user friendly and more customer centric yeah it's interesting you know one of the things you need to be careful of is that data can often you know we we have a fairly narrow use case around over the counter transactions right and as we grow the use cases we gather more information and it becomes more rich at the same time you have to be careful because it can be if if you like a self self fulfilling prophecy in the sense that you've got data on a certain use case and so you feel that this is the right one but you're ignoring a much larger one that may be available simply because you haven't gone there sort of a chicken or egg which one comes first so as you say you know for example we 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 launched wave pay which is our digital uh, our more digital app which allows peer to peer transfers we launched that up, uh, over a year ago um and that has proven very popular and what this is is a use case which is you know very common in singapore or or anywhere else simply money transfer from one person to another right on on the phone but that was not available in Myanmar prior it was simply cash to cash so this is something that we're looking at um i also think that we're looking very carefully at proximity payments being able to use your wave app to pay for goods and services in a in a store um and other applications public transport you know using your wave wallet to pay for the bus so we're reviewing games right online games i mean you mentioned covid earlier online gaming has exploded everywhere people are at home right <laughs> what do you do and how do you pay for the games well you want to pay with something that you can digitize your cash right and then and then spend it virtually so these are all things that we've been offering our customers and we've seen you know a lot of appetite but from very different segments the person that is using their proximity payment to buy groceries you know is not necessarily the same person that is using it to buy a game right so we have very different customer bases and we need to serve all of them and think carefully about how we prioritize our various use cases you also mentioned about uh, a wave that it is expensive as compared to bank transfers and since it is and it is convenient that's why people are ready to pay the premium but my obvious question will be till what time so basically whenever the the the, the cost is always you know today maybe your customers are ready to pay the premium uh but their mindset might change so so is there anything on your radar to reduce the cost or to make it more efficient and cost yeah. effective for your customers so so i didn't say it was expensive i said it cost more than the banks okay uh, and i think <laughs> i think that's an important point because in truth you're getting value for money i would say wave is not expensive actually it no. is the value it provides more than um more than offsets the cost because if you th- i mean you i think maybe but actually it's good to explain having you know having run a bank and then founded wave i've got a very good perspective on this you know bank branches in myanmar are only allowed to be open from 9 in the morning until 3 in the afternoon So think about that. If you want to send money, that means you need to go on your lunch break or take a day off, go down to the bank branch, stand in line, right? And then, you know, there are more and more bank branches being built, but they're still probably an hour or two hours away from you, right? So, you know, you take a day off, 2 hours in the rain, stand in the branch, send the money, right? You you and I would both pay quite a lot of money to avoid that. So what Wave is offering, yeah, it costs you more. but it allows you to go at 11:00 at night 
down to the mom and pop shop at the bottom of your apartment, send the money instantly and go back to bed, right? So that's why people feel that they get value for money. So what we feel is that obviously it's a competitive marketplace, but the network we we build, the quality, the stability of the service, it takes a lot of effort. So I have to be, I have to be clear. I don't think that we're overcharging people whatsoever. And I think that the, 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 the amount of usage we're getting out of it confirms that. I mean, people are clearly very happy to pay. There's, there's no problem, right? Uh, but, you know, we have to invest in technology. We have to invest in agents. And one of the things to understand is that a lot of our charge goes to the agents. So we, we, we pay a commission to these 65,000 agents to provide a service to our customers. This isn't something we take home. So, you know, we support these micro businesses, which I'm very proud of, right, with a significant income stream. Right? They're involved in our business, but a lot of the money that the customer pays is to pay that commission to the agent. So and when you look at the cost base, I think it, 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 it makes sense. No, I think I'll, I'll take my statement back. Uh, time, is, time is money. You have, you have sold this idea to me completely. So absolutely, when it comes to the, the flexibility, people, people are ready to pay. And especially right now where, where people want to have social distancing and they don't want to stand in the queues, definitely this will definitely be a, a blessing for for them so now i think coming to to the last section of our uh, podcast is what is more exciting working in yoma bank or wave money oh don't ask me that question it's deciding between my children i think um both i mean in very different ways right it, one's a very new industry. Wave is a very new, you know, it, it's been around as a, as a concept for some time in East Africa, in Pesa, which is rather well known. And there's Gcash in the Philippines and Bcash in, in Bangladesh. So it exists, but it's a very new frontier. Banking has been around, as, as you know, as a banker for hundreds of years, right? So I think on the one hand, we are innovating uh, in, a, in a more traditional industry. And on the other hand, we, we are taking a very new industry and seeing how far we can push it. So I would say they're equally um, exciting uh, and there's a lot of room to grow in both. Yeah, so uh, coming back to the wave uh, money, right? So are, are there anything on your cards after wave money or they, are you working on any other projects or assignments which, which you think, uh, uh, which you want to surprise our uh, listeners? Well, look, I mean, I'm, I'm, um, I've got a number of personal projects. I think that technology can impact and drive forward a lot of different industries. Um, and so, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm involved in an agricultural ag tech business, not in Myanmar, more personally, uh, where I put some of my own money in, where I think that we can bring smallholder farmers into, you know, the largest supply chains. They've typically been intermediated by traders that take a lot of the, you know, take a lot of the, the premium, take a lot of the, the margin. And so I think using technology, we can disintermediate uh, farmers, uh, smallholder farmers, and allow them to take a bigger part of the, the pie at home for them. Because I think food, food sustainability globally is a big deal. And I think that, you know, we need to encourage farmers to keep farming, right? And they need to bring more money home. So I've got a project there that I'm working on to try and use technology to allow that to happen. But I think, you know, a lot of the themes are the same. How do you, it's all about people, right? It's all about people. It's all about enabling technology. And then it's all about your customer. If you listen to your customer and you understand their needs, um, then you can do great things. 
No, I think you concluded on a very nice note on you know people, technology, and customers. So I think these are the three key pillars if you want to have a successful business model. So I would like to say thanks, Hal, for your uh, for your wonderful insights and for the uh, for time. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm sure that you are very busy, but I'm really very um, overwhelmed to have you on the show. I'm I'm really excited to talk further, but I'm really thankful for you coming on the show. Thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure, Sachin. Thank you. Data is the enabler for change and every change should have bandwidth to fail. That's what I call a real agility. That is quickly experiment, put to action, fail and adapt for the next try. Don't set the unrealistic expectation that you will get the change right at first attempt. Organizations which have demonstrated the ability to leverage on data are already few steps ahead and started their leap into the future to gain competitive advantage. Always remember, data and change goes hand in hand. The most difficult thing is the decision to act. So let's act and leap into the future. Thanks and stay safe. You have been listening to your host Sachin Tonk on Making Data Speak. Always remember that this is your podcast and you can contribute to the topics and themes. I'm very hungry to hear from you to make this journey of making data speak a success. So please leave your comments and views on LinkedIn, Facebook or on my website sachintong.com. We will be back with a brand new episode in the next two weeks. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen.